and welcome to Quarter Time Podcast in partnership with Carbon Jacked. I'm Lucy G. And I'm Lucy P. And we're here to bring you all the netball goodness you never knew you needed. We're delighted to say that this series of Quarter Time Podcast is supported by Carbon Jacked, an environmental startup that helps you combat climate change. They are an awesome company that provide monthly memberships which plant trees, support epic climate projects and help you to reduce your carbon footprint. Memberships start from just £2.50 per month so you can help save the planet for less than a cup of coffee. Signing up is super easy. Go to carbonjacks.com and enter Netball Pod for a huge 30% off. The link is in our show notes. Go check it out. Hello everyone and welcome to the final episode of season two of Quarter Time Podcast. Luce, it's the last one. I know, I can't believe it. The time flies, the time flies. Genuinely, it has been an incredible year for our second season of the pod and we feel so, honestly, so privileged and so lucky to be able to chat to some of the biggest names in Netball World every single week. And of course, you guys, like we have such amazing conversations on social media with all of you listeners. So thank you so much. We are truly blessed. Mm, yeah, I sometimes forget it's actual humans listening to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I, I sort of think, oh, it's just me and you having a bit of a chat. And then, and then I sort of remember, actually, there's people listening in every week. So hi, everyone. And <laughs> thanks for listening. That is so cute. Uh, but don't worry, guys, we won't be disappearing completely off the face of the earth. And there's going to be more coming up on that at the end of the episode about what we're going to do this summer. But back to today's episode, Lucy P, what have we got coming up on the show? So I have to say, this is a bit of a Burger King whopper, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, first up, we'll be taking a brief look at some of the international squads for the Commonwealth Games, which have been announced so far, including Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, South Africa, Jamaica and Australia, with some further information on the New Zealand and England announcements. Then we'll bring you up to date with the results from the ANZ finals and any player transfer news from the VNSL, which you may have missed, before moving on to our very special guest interview. This week, Week, we're chatting all things World Netball with none other than World Netball CEO Claire Briegel. We chat to Claire about growing the global game, the Olympics, world rankings, bouncing back from COVID and looking ahead to the Commonwealth Games in just a few weeks time. Yeah, this really is a whopper. So uh, <laughs> get your walking shoes on guys or get your cup of tea, get your, your snacks ready and uh, yeah, get yourself stuck into this one. <laughs> So let's crack on then. Let's take a look at some of the international squads for the Commonwealth Games coming up this summer. So Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales squads have all been announced. And I think that, you know, there's no major surprises in any of those. However, how amazing is it to see Fee Tona back on a squad list? We missed Mm -hmm. her dearly in VNSL this year. So uh, really looking forward to that. And I think all three squads are looking pretty strong. Yeah. I'm particularly keen to see what in Greenway and Sarah Francis Bayman can do with Scotland. I think there's so much potential there and definitely going to be ones to watch. Yeah, I think them, but also, I mean, both of those other sides as well, like Wales are going to be gunning for it after missing out on World Cup. So yeah, I mm-hmm. can't wait to see that. 
Next up on to South Africa, they have announced their full 12 and training partners. Carla Pretorius, obviously absent as she's on maternity leave and has just had a little baby. Congratulations Ooh, to her. And for me, there was a glaring omission of Siggy Berger, not just in the Commonwealth Games squad, but in the 24 athlete contracts that were handed out. Mm. It's the first time that South Africa have offered these. Clearly, they're ramping things up ahead of the World Cup next year. But I mean, pretty devastating for Siggy, who is one of the most accurate shooters in the VNSL and still so young and got so many years ahead of her yeah I mean that must have been devastating I I don't know if I would have put her in my squad of 12 for South Africa but I absolutely would have had her in that training environment sure and she didn't necessarily have her strongest season but she really did come into some form at the end Mm. of the season so yeah absolutely devastating but how good to see South Africa moving towards that professionalization with those athlete contracts Yeah, for sure. Okay, next up is Australia. The full list has been announced. And actually, there was a a cheeky little leak prior to the announcement (laughs) as well. Cheeky little leak sounds like something you get a nappy for. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not quite there yet. (laughs) I'm distracting you. I'm distracting you. Uh, carry on, Liz, with what you were saying about the the, the uh, Diamond Squad. It's a very sensible podcast. So, pee jokes aside, um, <laughs> the the main omissions for me were obviously Maddie Proud, Maddie Turner, and Sophie Garbin. And I was personally a little bit surprised to see uh, Kate Maloney in the squad over Jamie Lee Price. I don't know, maybe that Vixens connection had something to do with it. I would say, looking at the squad as a whole, the shooting end is probably the weakest. I think Wood and Conan haven't had the greatest seasons, but I I don't know. I guess we'll just have to see how they go internationally. There was a really great interview with Stacey Marinkovic on Netball Scoop about the squad. So check it out if you haven't already. But hashtag justice for proud. Yeah, I I agree about the shooting end, but I just also... Gretel Boetta is so dangerous. So she is what insane. Can you do? What can you do? Next up, uh, hopping over the Tasman to New Zealand. New Zealand have not announced their final 12, but they have announced 27 trialists, which is a very strong list. Great to see the inclusion of Christiana Manua. And I really mm. think she has a decent chance of getting in that 12. There are quite a few names missing for New Zealand, uh, notably Karen Berger devastated for her picking up that injury and Michaela Sokolich-Beetson. So yeah, bad news for New Zealand fans, especially with Jane Watson also out, who's also had a little baby. Congratulations to her. (laughs) Babies everywhere. And Echinacio is back on the list of trialists. And I mean, they have a wealth of depth in the midcourt. It's it's really just a case of who they can slot in, but they've lost a massive amount of experience compared to the squad that they took to World Cup in 2019. Interesting as well that they are doing a formal trials process Mm. rather than selecting based on performance. I know that will obviously come into it as well, but we know that Knowles has got very high fitness standards. So I guess it makes sense to just get them all together in a room, make them sweat. Yeah, for sure. We know already that five of those 27 have actually failed the yo-yo test um, as it stands. So I think they're they're going to be doing it again at the end of the trial process to try and give them as much time as possible to get up to speed. But I I don't know, like I'm in two minds about New Zealand. On the one hand, I'm like, 
I think they're missing too many big names and the likes mm. of Ekinacio isn't back to the form that she was in World Cup. So yeah. I, I would question whether they'd even medal. But then the other half of me is like, Lucy, you're an idiot. Like, don't mm. don't discount the ferns and in Knowles we trust. So I just yeah. don't know where to go. It's such a tough one. And actually there was a really great article with Knowles and she said that making it to the final mm. is going to be a challenge. Like mm-hmm. she's openly said that, you know, that they're missing experience and also they see England as a massive threat so we shall see who knows yeah. who knows but the turns might have tabled since uh, the, the, turns <laughs> <might have> tabled. <laughs> the tables might have turned since the world cup you know in terms of they might be the ones who are devastated head and yeah. hands yeah I mean I wonder whether she said that just to sell us down a river and then yeah. they would come out and be like bang <laughs> we'll have to I would not be surprised at that at all no mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. Uh, so next up is Jamaica oh boy this squad could be absolutely deadly and I genuinely think that they've got a solid chance of meddling this year yep. the defense end is I'd say arguably, is it even arguably, they are hands down one of the most dynamic and scary of any nation in the world. Mm. And they've also arguably got the best goal shooter in the world down the other end. The only area for me that may let them down is that mid-court, but also goal attack position as well. I think if they can keep the speed and the dynamism that they're known for, but also remain disciplined and treasure possession, then they could absolutely make that final. And I was actually, I was chatting to one of my besties, Yvonne. Hi, Yvonne. Yeah. Uh, she messaged me about Jamaica. and She said that she thinks Jamaica are now where the Roses were a few years back with that sort of lacking of the depth in the squad that we now have and others have. And I think this is probably the best chance they've ever had to win a medal, as I wouldn't be surprised if Fowler retires after, or or if this will be her last comm game. So Mm. I wonder if it's a case of now or never for them. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I definitely think they shouldn't be underestimated. We did not Mm -mm. see the best of them in that series against England just before Christmas at all. all. People should be watching their backs. Yeah. Yeah. Finally then, on to England. So we know the announcement is coming soon. There's been much speculation about who's going to get selected. So do keep your eyes peeled on our social media over the coming days as we'll be doing another recorded Twitter space with some very special guests when the Roses squad announcement has actually been made. I think probably bar a few exceptions, the squad will be largely predictable particularly with Serena Guthrie now retired, which kind of takes out another option in the midcourt, which was an area of contention. But there are still some question marks in all thirds. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, there's there's going to be people like your Gus Guffs who, and you know, your Cardwells, your Hart and Housby who are going to be in there. But mm. there's there's a couple of question marks. I believe you forgot marks. Metcalf. Oh, Metcalf, of course. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, there's just so many of them who are hands down going to be in there. But there's maybe sort of three, four spaces that are really up for grabs. So it's going to be absolutely fascinating. So moving on to the ANZ, obviously the finals have now taken place and Central Pulse beat Northern Stars scoring 56 to 37. It was a bit of a, mm. a washout, actually. It's a bit of a shame. Yeah, disappointing. Yeah, Pulse actually became the first team to win three ANZ Premiership titles. And it was it was a 15-6 first quarter. So it was just total domination. And I think obviously it would be disappointing for Stars. But, you know, after missing out on the finals last season, I imagine they'd be quite pleased to have made the finals this season. Yeah. And overall, I think the season as a whole was really close. There was only actually 16 points between the top and the bottom teams. And each team had at least four wins. So mm. if you compare that to VNSL, like we're 
miles off of that yet. So yeah. it's, a, it's a good, com- a great competition, actually. Yeah, I think that as well. And I think the bonus point keeps it really interesting as well, especially because mm. you have to be in the top three to be in with a chance. So it's, yeah, it's really interesting how that plays out over the season. Mm. Moving over to the SSN finals. So these haven't taken place yet, but the top four has been decided. And it all came down to goal difference in the end, which oh is just God. crazy. Because people always say, oh, yeah, you know, get as many goals as you can just in case. And you never think it actually will, but it did. <laughs> uh, Vixens, Fever, Giants and Magpies will battle it out. Really great to see some Roses representation across those teams as well. Sorry, Houseby. Wish you were there. Oh, Love you. Bye. Heartbreaker. Yeah, the Swifts did lose out by just a whisker, which is really devastating for them. But to be honest, considering the injury to Sammy Wallace in round one, I think it's mm. still a massive achievement that they came in fifth and only For just sure. missed out. Uh, who will take the title, Luce? Oh, you're going to put me on the spot. Um, I am going to say... Uh, I've got a head and a heart situation. I'm going, I'm going to go say Vixens. Yeah, I would also agree Vixens. How boring. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> We think exactly the same about something. How surprising. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think it will be really close, though. I hope it's a Vixens-Giants final. Ooh. Fever hater. No. Well, a bit, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) See, I love Fever now. They've got Dan Ryan. Yeah, Fever me up. I love it. (laughs) Fever me up. (laughs) To be honest, I'd be very happy with any of them. Like I've got love for all of them for various yeah. different reasons. So no, I just want a good well. battle. Yeah, exactly. You want it to be close. You yeah. do want it to be close. Also, some huge news out of Australia about the debt situation for Netball mm. Australia. Very concerning. Uh, Shani Norder on Twitter actually calling for them to sell the league. Like massive, massive drama. It's just, yeah, that's all come out this week as well, hasn't it? Yes, absolutely huge news and genuinely really concerning. But I don't actually think it's necessarily the worst idea in the world to separate SSN and Netball Australia. Mm. It'd be really interesting to see where they go from here over the next sort of three to five years. Yeah, I think as well also remember that the amount is in Australian dollars, it's not in pounds. Yes. Because I was suddenly like, <laughs> oh my God. And then I remembered that it's it, it, of the conversion rate and it's still not thing. great, but slightly less bad. So yeah. Yeah, like, I did exactly the same thing. Why are we literally the same person? Get out of my brain. I know. Jeez. We need some time apart, Lou. That's why we're <laughs> having the last episode now, which is morphing into the same person. Anyway, oh, moving Lordy. on to some player transfer news from the VNSL. So take it away, Luce. What's been happening? Oh, you know, not a lot. Just some minor details like Kat Tuivaiti becoming head coach and player <laughs> at Wasp Netball. No biggie. What? Also, side note, related to that, do we think that Rachel Dunn is moving, retiring? <sighs> I don't know. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if she retired, but doesn't she live in Bath? So I actually wonder does if she? she might move to Bath or around that area. Hmm. Actually, I don't know if she does. I know. I think she does, actually. I think I, I stalk her on Instagram, probably. She's playing tennis now for the summer. I'm re- really loving that for her. Well, there you go. Kim Borger's gone. So could there be a move there? I don't know. Absolutely. But yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if she retires, although that would be devastating. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, but as well as that, Laura Malcolm and Joyce Mvula have moved abroad. We've mm. now found out that Mvula has gone to championship side Central Pulse in ANZ. And rumour has it Malcolm might be going to tactics, but no one knows yet. So TBC. Exciting stuff. Love that. Very exciting. Um, we also know that Dee Bolacoro from Stars is retiring and Amelia Hall for Rhinos has taken a year out to travel. So um, best of luck to both of those in their endeavours. And also as well, I know it's not VNSL, but just to quickly mention Nanise Potgita, who has been dropped by Thunderbirds, which is absolutely devastating. She yeah. seems heartbroken by it. But I do wonder, will she come over to VNSL? Maybe. Oh, I would love to see that because That'd obviously be we know that we've got two, you know, shooting positions available at Thunder and Bath and potentially others as well. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. Ooh, very exciting. Coming up after the break, we hear from just the CEO of World Netball. No biggie. It's Claire Briegel. Join the likes of Tamsin Greenway, Gia Ebenethy, and us to become a Carbon Jacked member and combat climate change. It's just £2.50 per month and you'd be doing your bit and helping to protect the planet. We really think that netballers can make a difference and so do Carbon Jacked. That's why they support this podcast. They're helping England netball plant trees for goals scored in the Vitality Netball Super League and our Netball Scotland sustainability partner. Go to carbonjack.com to become a member today and use Netball Pod for 30% off. Link is in the show notes. We are absolutely thrilled to welcome the CEO of World Netball onto the pod. It's Claire Briegel. How are you doing, Claire? I'm very good today. Thank you, Lucy. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, very much looking forward to upcoming Com Games, no doubt. We're not far away now. I know. It's a matter of days. I think it's something like 44 days or something. So we really are counting down and uh, starting to meet regularly with the teams and get into the detailed planning now. So very exciting times. It's going to be a fantastic competition in Birmingham. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Honestly, it just feels like I blinked and suddenly went from 100 days until now, like you say, 44 days or something. So yeah, it's fast approaching and we honestly cannot wait. So thank you so much for coming on the pod today. To kick us off, you were appointed as interim CEO of World Netball in 2012 and later made permanent CEO in 2013. And you're now approaching a whopping 10 years in the role. In that time, you've been steering the ship for netball and you've been at the forefront of the growth of the international game. And this includes a couple of, I imagine, extremely difficult seasons with COVID and everything. So in your opinion, what's been the biggest change that you've witnessed in terms of the global game during your tenure? Oh, the change in the global game. Well, we're seeing, we're, we are seeing the growth of the game, but I think we're more importantly, we're seeing the visibility of the game growing. So being a predominantly female sport, we don't tend to shout about it quite so much. We quietly get on and do it and grow somewhat organically. And I think um, we've been working hard When I say we, I don't just mean World Netball. I mean in concert with our member countries, our 75, well, they're up to 79 member countries now, making sure that we get get the sport into the press, into on on websites, on television. And that's the difference is people are starting to recognise and we know that 
four years ago when we were down in Australia at the last Commonwealth Games. That was a turning point for a, for a lot of people, that, particularly in the United Kingdom, that hadn't seen much of the sport. And all of a sudden, everybody's talking about netball. It's the game that everybody wanted to watch at the end of the last Commonwealth Games. And those key moments are really important. I know it's a cliche, tipping points, but you need those. You absolutely need those. We need the media behind us. Um, and so that's probably the biggest change is that netball's being talked about, which is which is fantastic. The moment that we start having the players' names being being spoken about by the person on the street, you know you're starting to get into the consciousness of of the public, and and I think that's happening now. And uh, long may it grow from where we've got to. Yeah, a hundred percent. And obviously, Australia, New Zealand probably lead the way in that respect. But we are seeing now, with the success of England Roses in 2018, that the likes of a Helen Housby, with her, you know, Red Bull sponsorship and Nike sponsored athletes like Kadeen and Sasha Corbin, they are starting to become more household names. So you really can see that change in the sport. And I think in relation to this sort of the extent of coverage that netball is receiving, we have, like we said, seen great progress in recent years to bring into parity with other sports particularly male dominated sports in terms of that coverage and professionalization but we do still have a fairly long way to go yeah it's a huge way to go i we're we're well off parity um you've i'm sure in your programs covered all the stats we are still just making baby steps and that's that's the frustration if you like Hmm. So what do you think then is the main factor that's kind of holding netball back from that sort of next big step towards professionalization? Is it actually related to the coverage? I think that's one of the key one of the key issues is is for us we're still having to shout to get the sport covered so that it is um it is visible beyond those that the the, the immediate netball family. It is getting better. I suppose I like to look at the positives. Let's think about what we do have. We we have a huge volunteer workforce. We have a huge participation base, particularly in the core Commonwealth countries, but growing outside of those. And we have some amazing leaders and role models in our sport. So we we really do need to use all of those strengths Plus the uniqueness of the game. The game is very different. Uh, and when we start talking about the difference between netball and perhaps other codes, um, which I'm sure we'll, we will get onto, we really need to build on those. But we've got to actually demand to be seen and demand to be heard. So making our voice heard um, is, is one of those key things. And there, there are so many opportunities for our sport. But Whilst world sport is still predominantly occupied, um, sort of the leadership is predominantly by people who haven't touched netball, they've not played it or they've, they're not aware of it. It's hard for them to include us in the conversation. You know, sometimes they don't think of it. So we actually have to work twice as hard to make sure that our voice is heard. Mm, yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, in recent years, if we look at that being a predominantly female-focused sport, that is obviously one of the USPs of netball and one of the things that a lot of people hold very dear. But we have seen the growth of the men's and mixed game, which has been exponential and absolutely wonderful to see. We had um, uh, a couple of members of EMNA doing an episode with us this season yes, as well, which yes, is fab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how does World Netball see this developing? Like, How, how will you continue to balance the inclusion of, of men and mixed netball with the priority of keeping that unique female-led aspect of the sport? Well, I hope 
I hope you've noticed that we are we have had a change in our in our vision and and our philosophy and um we are we are looking at all ways now to embrace men and boys in our game and that's a change in philosophy and I think that change is accelerating because I think we do offer a different type of product that is appealing to to men as well as women we we need to understand that difference and I think there are certain ways that you know we the that our sport is fundamentally different. If you look at the the, the approach and the values that we hold dearly in, in our sport, um, we spent quite a lot of time in 20, at the end of 2019, 2020, developing our latest strategic plan. And we thought long and hard about our values. And deep in those values are two, which are teamwork and heart, and really saying that those those apply throughout our sport, and that's the philosophy. And then when we come on to how we govern, we don't govern by command and control. We govern by consultation and reaching consensus. And our sport on the court isn't played by one superstar that scores all the goals and makes all the passes. Our sport is it's a team game. You can't win by having one one exceptional player. You can go quite a long way, but the top teams need that that the zones on the court to connect with one another and teamwork. So so I think there's there's huge strength, but but we are making noises publicly so people understand that we're not trying to exclude men and boys. And I think in the past there's been a view that the International Federation has been trying to exclude. And that's really not been the case. It's been a case of in a world where resources are not spread equally, we've had to work really hard with the limited resources we had. But I think now we're shifting our our view to say, if our vision is to be a sport that is open to all, then that's an inclusive mantra. And excluding half of the population would be the wrong thing to do. It is the wrong thing to do. And our founders, way back in 1895, they suffered real exclusion from sport. And I think they'd be horrified to think that the women of today would want to exclude anybody from playing the sport that they invented. So we've really, in the last few years, come to terms with our role in that. And now, Look at the opportunity for growth in the in the countries where netball is is really established and, and played through schools. That's a huge opportunity for growth. And the men aren't going to take resources away from us. Men bring resources in many countries and and control resources. I mean, that's the reality of the unequal world. That, that, that you know, if you look globally, so so let's look at the positives on that and and let's build that. And I think we've. We've seen a change in our members over the past few years, uh, working more closely with the the men's and mixed netballs associations in the countries that where they were separate. But in many of our countries, they've never been separate. If you look at India and Pakistan, there are women's leagues and men's leagues. But again, <laughs> people don't talk about them, and and so we can provide that um, we can provide that visibility for the men's side of the game as well. So a lot. Yeah. I, you can tell I feel I feel strongly about this. I I, I think there's no place for exclusion um, in today's world, and um, and our board uh, have, have have really started to promote this, and we have very good dialogue with our members on it now. And we've you know surveyed them. We've had 
men's only focus groups. We sound like the men's sport that are introducing women. I've learned a lot from talking to rugby and cricket about how they've made sure that um, that we're inclusive in our in our in our methods mm. and bringing more men in to help govern our sports. So actively see, seeking men on our on our um, committees and panels and on our board, and and that's really happening now. So it's been a really good good experience. This. Yeah, and and you can absolutely see the growth in so many countries. Obviously, the one that we know best is England being based here and the growth that Emna have had has is, is just been incredible. And the, the thing that came most clearly out of our episode with Emna is that no one is in it to take away the resources from the women. Every, I've yet to meet any male netball player who wants to take that away from women and from the women's game you know we're, we're all just here to enhance each other to enhance the sport to grow the sport collectively and you know that's absolutely the way forward but I find it really interesting when you mentioned these values um obviously June last year the new strategy was launched and we've been uh, reading it very very closely it's absolutely very wonderful <laughs> And within the strategy, there are these seven essential values that are absolutely crucial to maintaining the growth and the integrity of the game. So as the global governing body for netball, you would obviously want all of your member nations to live by these values. So how do you empower the national governing bodies to live by the world netball values? And would there be a point where world netball steps in if they feel that a governing body isn't living up to these values? How do you how do you empower NGBs to live out these values? Well, we didn't, um, the board and the secretariat didn't just sit there and, and make up these values. These were done, these were actually put together in consultation. So the actual strategy itself, before it was published, we shared some earlier thoughts with our members and they actually helped us hone them and the the descriptors on those on those values and how they hung together. So, uh, and you know, the way our board is formed is that we have five directors who are elected by their regions and they provide that communication channel in two directions with our with our members so they they all sit on boards for regional federations which are made up of the smaller groups of national national um, members so so i feel they we don't need to do that uh, that sounds a bit glib but it but it's because they've been agreed up front um we will. Uh, it's interesting. We are really. We do really use those values as well. So I've got a small staff team. Wish I had a bigger team. We could do so much more, more quickly. But <laughs> I have a fantastic team, and we talk about in the annual appraisals. You know, how have you demonstrated the value set? And I know the board are starting to look at their board appraisals and thinking about the value set. Is it's because really we know in life it's it's often not what you do, it's how you do it that enables you to. To bring people with them and we have a, an exceptional leader in our president who is you know is lives and breathes those values so once you have somebody demonstrating those values at the highest level and uh, and we do you know we do sometimes in, I wouldn't say intervene but we we assist our members with some of you know issues that they may have and and um, we do try and um, do it in a consultative way we don't go straight into disciplinary processes because those just create 
money for lawyers quite often. <laughs> I'm married to a lawyer, so I'm, I can say that, you know, in a nice <laughs> way. And the values are really important. Integrity. We, we're. Um, I'm going to give you a very current example, which is around the Commonwealth Games, and we're just starting to understand fully the COVID-19 measures that will be put in place for the Commonwealth Games. And because the United Kingdom has moved much more into us, much say the risk levels are much lower. Obviously, that means that a lot of the COVID protocols that may have been used, for example, at the Olympic Games and the Winter Olympics, are no longer applicable. Um, we won't. They're you know they're 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 looking at the testing regimes, and there's going to require a lot of trust on individual players to self-identify if they have any COVID symptoms. So, so that's where, you know, trust is really important. And although there are sanctions, you know, if people don't comply by the rules, such as sport, we actually are there talking to team managers about collective responsibility, because actually the last thing you would want to do, if even if an individual player felt so compelled to play, the last thing they would want to do is to infect their teammates or other, other players. So I, I think this values-based approach is, is where netball can really, really separate itself from other sports codes and provide um, a different environment that people can thrive in. It's yeah. not the fact that it's women, it's, it's what that means in reality, how we manage, how we, how, we, how we do things around here. Values, that's how we do things around here, isn't it? That's yeah. the mantra. So if it appeals to anybody that's listening, then you should play netball. You should join a netball club because you're going to find that kind of approach. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is one of the beautiful things about netball. And that, that's why the term the netball family is so prevalent, is that it, we do have that sort of really community environment that uh, empowering, you know, empowered women empower women. So that is a, a very unique thing, I think, to netball. And I think within the new strategy as well, closely aligned to this is the importance of netball as a tool for positive social change and anyone who knows me will know that this is absolutely my jam like this is my favorite thing and I think we we've seen part of this in action already with the formation of the World Netball Foundation which is obviously the charitable arm of World Netball so you recently recruited for board members for the foundation but if I'm being honest, it's been hard to find any additional info on that since then. So can you tell us a bit more about it and some of the key initiatives that we might expect to see from the foundation? Yeah, thank you. Um, yes, you won't have seen much published because establishing a foundation, a proper charitable foundation, is a really serious step for World Netball. And if you're establishing a charity as opposed to just doing good through works through, through your own organisation, you really have to establish the appropriate governance. The first thing you do is establish a company, but then you establish a charity, and that's through the Charities Commission. It will be a UK-based charity in terms of its foundation, and the advantage of that is a UK charity can operate overseas. And then we have we do have a fantastic business plan. So our charity uh they're not trustees yet because it's not a charity yet. It's a really tricky thing. There's uh, new directors are meeting for the, for the first time together in July, first week in July, and they will review the strategic plan for the charity. But because it's, it's, it's aligned to World Netball, and World Netball is the kind of corporate member, which is a technical term, 
but actually it needs to operate as a charity and it must stick to its objects, which is all about the good that it does. So it's sport, it's predominantly sport for development or it can be leadership programs, those kinds of things. But it isn't all about just developing participants in the sport, numbers in the sport. And that's a really important um, distinction because that means that it will be able to approach organizations out there that raise funds and it will be able to seek grants. So that's a really, really critical part. And it will work through lots of partnerships with organizations. So we've appointed a project manager who comes from a really experienced lady who comes from football charity world. And um, Monica is doing a fantastic job in establishing our charity correctly. And we've got these fantastic directors who will be trustees and they're based not just in the UK. So we've got one from Africa and one from Australia and they will guide the next process. So we will be being very noisy about this at the World Cup next year in South Africa in Cape Town. So that's what we're working towards. We do we do do a lot of sport for development work in partnership already with a number of agencies introducing um, netball as a way to bring communities together and identifying community leaders and doing it in a very simple way, encouraging individuals to help bring their communities into sport to bring them together. And um, so there are examples, but um, I'll um, I'll make sure they become more visible as we go through these next stages so you're not having to hunt for them. That's <laughs> what I mean. We have to speak. So having said, we all have to speak louder about it. We will make sure we speak very loud about the work we're doing with the foundation. We will be more visible quite soon about it. Yeah, I mean, these things take time, you know, it's uh, it, we can't run before we can walk. So it, it's all just a, a slow burn. It's a long process. But this kind of sport for development thing is something that I find so genuinely exciting. And I think with how principled and how valued netball is as a sport, it's almost like uncharted territory. There's so much untapped potential of what we could do. And there was a lovely quote from Bongi Somi in the strategy for anyone who hasn't read it, who said, without netball, I don't know where I'd be. I get scared to think of what would happen to me if I didn't play this sport. And we can see loads of great examples like um, Proscovia Peace, Mary Chollock, who who've been uh, very vocal about their experiences and how netball has helped them um, and how they're developing the sport in Uganda. There's just so much that we could do. It's a, it's a really, really exciting prospect for me. And I think one of the other difficult things that World Netballs, I, I think, are hoping to tackle that's sort of connected to this are the cultural approaches to women's sport around the world. And we know that currently there are a lot of places where women are less empowered to participate in sport or even banned from participating altogether. And there's a quote from you uh, previously where you say the challenges are different region by region and country by country. In some cultures, women get very little. In other countries, women aren't treated equally. And in some countries, people actually put more into women's sport as it needs a bigger leg up that equity argument so how do you even begin to approach such a mammoth challenge like this <laughs> yes yeah, good question um we do it uh you know it's the old proverbial like the elephant one bite at a time and uh we do adapt our approaches country by country so we listen very carefully to what our leaders in a particular country is uh, are telling us so we we recognize and we empathize with with the countries that are struggling 
So I think that that quote I do recognize. And often that was in relation to the growth of men's netball, because some countries uh, which are trying to reconcile the fact that the, they are a predominantly women's sport is, is their view as to why they get funding. And, and therefore, many of them had looked at the men's game as, as a potential threat and a threat to the safe spaces. But what we're saying is we're, we're, we're like the UN that say there's a space for women-only programs. Um, if it's good enough for the UN, it's good enough for me. Um, <laughs> so um, so that, that's about being re- realistic in the countries that we're operating. But I think that's probably an area where the focus on women's sports and the, the realisation in sports like football that this is the next growth area for them is is that women's sport is becoming normalized generally so so you still want to have those safe spaces you probably will at once um you, to maintain women only environments uh, in cultures where a wearing pee kit is not seen as being the right thing to do to make sure that the women f- can feel comfortable with one another playing sports and getting hot and sweaty and you know making sure that those are right environments um but then more countries that previously wouldn't have wouldn't have created um, environments for for women's sport are creating better environments for them so it is changing yeah we're, we're getting better on inclusion around the world sporting world and um, long may it continue because well my girls are a bit older now so they had opportunities to do lots of different sports but I never got to play all sorts of different sports and I think that because there are so many women that give up sport when they get to be a teenager. And in my view is there must be something they'd like if only they were given the opportunity. And I'd rather see women and girls continue doing something active because I believe in the health benefits of, of moving around a bit. There's room for everybody out here. We have to know what our USPs are and attract them. Yeah. Hundred percent. So, if we come back to some of the practical things, as as well as all the lovely philosophical ethos kind of stuff that World Netball do, one of the practical things that World Netball is responsible for is the world ranking system. So, as we know, this is really important in terms of qualification for major tournaments and as a way of tracking progress for all the nations who play netball at an international level. So for anyone who doesn't know, can you explain how the ranking system works and why pesky Australia are still number one, despite not holding either the World Cup or the Commonwealth Games gold? Ah, right. (laughs) The world ranking system um, is something that we established way back in 2009. My predecessor set it up and you're right, it's a really important tool and, and the integrity of that world ranking is really important to us. So what it does is it takes the results of matches that have been played over the over the past three to four years. And I say three to four because once a year, a year's data disappears. And the reason it does that is to make sure it's really up to date and reflects current form. So what it does is it only looks at a win, a lost match or a, a draw. So it only considers that and it awards ranking points depending on what the outcome of the match is. And then it needs more than one match. It's not a ladder. So it doesn't, if you beat, if if uh, England beat Australia, they don't go into above Australia. It takes, it takes a number of results. And at the moment, that is six matches over that period, three to four years. So, so it's, it's, it doesn't really work on one-off matches. 
Um, so, so what happens is over time, big tournaments drop off. Clearly, the results that the Commonwealth Games were really important for England a few years back, but they've now disappeared off the world rankings. So they they've gone. So this this time, the new Commonwealth Games ranking will come in. Yeah, I kind of wish it, they they change more rapidly, but the reason they don't change so rapidly is because they're actually indicative of the the trend. So so every now and again we have a look to see should we shorten the period, should we change the number of games, but we always seem to come back to a similar model. We we did make some changes in COVID when there was that period of um, about 12 months where there were very few international fixtures, we actually effectively delayed the annual update. We did that so, so that we made sure we have enough matches. So when we took a year's data off, it suddenly didn't have too few matches because the last thing we wanted was either the data to not be as good because it had fewer matches involved so therefore wasn't as indicative of form or we didn't want countries that had a world ranking to be dropping off the world rankings because they had too few few matches so that seems to work so we're keeping the six matches um, for the time being and eventually that will go back up when we get back when that whole year of missed data is gone if you like so for those of you that have fallen asleep whilst I've been explaining this (laughs) We've increased, we've improved our Q&A on the world rankings on our website. So I would encourage people to look at the world rankings hub and then they can look at at their leisure and understand how it works. Um, So I I don't know, has that helped at all? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's just one enormous jigsaw that I'm very grateful that I don't have any involvement in because I don't think I'd be able to wrap my head around it. But yeah, I mean, I hope we are seeing a change in like the the gap between nations as well on the world ranking so we used to talk I mean and that's where that's where the game has really developed so you'll remember you know 10 or certainly 10 years ago it was all about Australia and New Zealand and then uh, you'd have the next two were quite competitive so England and Jamaica were quite competitive and then you had South Africa and Malawi quite competitive. So what's happened certainly over the last five years, which is terrific, is that the gap between the top and, and the fifth have has shrunk and the gaps with the others. So there's always quite a lot of movement in the next level. But we've seen all those gaps uh, concertina down, which means when we came to the com sorry, to the World Cup back in 2019. We had five countries that could have won that World Cup. And I think we're we're the same for Commonwealth Games, which is why I'm so excited about it. So mm. <laughs> yes. it. it's gonna be so juicy. And speaking of Com Games, you know, another big competition that's been a big talking point in Netball for the last half many years is of course the Olympics. And we know that you were elected as council member of the Association of International Olympic Committee, uh, the recognised International Sports Federation in 2021. Wrap my mouth around that. What the hell does it mean? That's what you want me to explain? Yes. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, what is it that you do and, and how far along is netball in that journey to becoming an Olympic sport? Are we looking at 2032 in Brisbane? Well, uh, we're looking at it. So what we have announced publicly, and uh, we we made it clear to everybody that we're we're investigating. So 2032 presents us with an opportunity that perhaps we've not had over the last few years when a strong netball nation is hosting the Olympic Games. And um, there are two ways to get into the Olympic Games. One is through the IOC, 
and one is through the host organizing committee, the OCOG, as they call them. <laughs> Lots of abbreviations here. <laughs> Imagine the organizing committee. So Brisbane themselves have an opportunity to present some sports to the IOC to say, we'd like to, these sports are really strong in our country. For whatever reason, we would, this fits the philosophy for the games we're organizing, we would like to propose those. So so what we are currently doing right now is uh, because that new opportunity has presented itself, we speak. So when I say we, World Netball speaks regularly to the IOC because we are a recognized sport, which means we are well governed. We follow the World Anti-Doping Code. We have all of those governance pillars in place and we sign up to the values of Olympism. You know, all the good things that the Olympic Games does beyond the Games. So we, we're aligned there. So we're one of the recognized sports. There's 42 of them. And that's the grouping that I am uh, on the, the effectively the council of. So that group are the main area, the pond with which the IOC fishes to bring new sports into, into the Olympic Games. So we've been in that pond for quite a long time. Uh, but but now we're talking about a games that's in a country that's so strong in netball, it's a golden opportunity. So so what we're we're talking to the IOC and we have a small working group which is made up of us and the Netball Australia, the CEO and the chair, and they are talking to the Australian, uh, well, first of all, the Australian Olympic Committee. But now they've established just this year, they've established a board for the organizing committee. They, they, they are now talking to them about how can, where does netball fit in your strategic plan? What, what would it look like? Um, what version of netball should it be? Do we need a men's game? All of those discussions are happening right now. So that means for us as a sport, we have to demonstrate our competence across a whole range of areas. We have to show how many countries in the world play netball, our universality. And we know uh, netball is really strong in the Commonwealth countries, but we've got countries where we're less strong and other sports are played more by women and girls and by men. We have our men's game and we know that we would be expected to have um, a men's game in there. And those are really interesting conversations. So it means we need to make sure our members are with us on this journey. So those are the dialogues we're having with our members right now. And if we go for it, one thing to be clear is um, it's because it's right for the development of the sport, because in itself, there's only so much of a chance that we would get in because every sport wants to be in the Olympic Games. So there you go. How important are the likes of the Olympic big hitters, for lack of a better word, the likes of uh, China, Russia, USA? How important are they within the Olympic conversation? They're really important because they bring audiences and the, you know, the Olympics needs needs financial income. So broadcasting is a really important part. And we've got some really strong markets in broadcasting that maybe bring some new things. India is really important as well because of the population. So don't miss them off the off mm. the list. The thing about India is that it is a country where netball is known. So we do have some work to do in some of in some of those countries. The obvious one for us would be the USA because of um, English speaking, and we already have an established member in there. We don't have a member in China, and we don't have a member in Russia, but we do have uh, established members, and there are uh, lots of people playing netball that aren't part of the established member as well. So, so there's great opportunity for us um, in the USA. 
I don't know whether you've picked up, we've been doing a lot of work in South America. Um, so we have a really strong member in Argentina that's been going about 14 years now. And they're introducing netball throughout the whole of South America and also looking into Central America. And we will be in the Central American and Caribbean games next year. Multi-sport games are really important to the growth of netball. So strategically, we've been working on the South America and, and Central America. So um, so watch the space. Yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah. It is so exciting. Like the growth potential is just unlimited. Yeah. Oh, I honestly cannot wait to see where it goes in the next 10, 20, 30 years. And I'm very conscious we've taken up a lot of your time. So I've got one final question before we move on to just three very quick rapid fire questions. So if we look ahead to Com Games in Birmingham, the event that everyone's looking forward to, outside of the performances of the national teams themselves, what are the main priorities for the Games from a world netball perspective? Oh, well, it's back to that visibility, isn't it? So our mm. priority is about getting netball talked about. We want we want netball on the lips of everybody in, in the core nations, and we want to have impact outside of that. So if you look at our strategic plan about grow, grow is about grow growing the game, but also the impact of the game and the participation and the eyes on the sport. So so growth is our, is our objective. We know the game will be put on at the highest level. It will be a world-class event. We've got the top 12 teams playing. So that bit's taken care of. The organising committee are doing a great job. We've got a really good technical delegate. We've got our um, world-class umpires appointed. So the game, technically, we uh, it's being played in a country that understands netball and with an organising committee that will do a fantastic job. So this is about amplification. The game's there for everybody to see. We just need to make sure everybody sees it and hears it. Yeah, amazing. Oh, well, cannot wait. It's set to be a truly exceptional game. So uh, rapid fire, brace yourself. First up, what is the best live netball game that you've ever watched? Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's really <laughs> I, uh, am I allowed to say this? Uh, I don't sponsor, I don't support any particular team in the world, but I have to say the final of the Commonwealth Games in Gold Coast was pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was really exciting. I mean, that changed the netball world, changed you know, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there are loads, yeah. Too many. I imagine you've seen an extreme amount of netball games in your tenure as well, so that's that's a good choice. <laughs> I'm very fortunate. I am very fortunate to have seen some great games. I, I, I love it when you've got two match sides. So it doesn't need to be necessarily the the ones ranked one one two three four i i love all the games i really do love it the, the other game i'll tell you the other game i might get into trouble with this with jamaica <laughs> when botswana beat jamaica at the world youth cup in botswana was an amazing moment in a arena filled of three thousand botswana fans <laughs> when they Built, beat, beat Jamaica that was a fantastic moment but like when Malawi beat New Zealand and you know mm-hmm. the, oh you can there's a bit of a theme here I always like the unexpected <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm with you on that one some great choices there um, okay secondly who is your favorite ever netballer either past or present oh golly I have to say She's not a player I ever saw play, but she was my boss brought me into the sport. So Molly Roan, the Honourable Molly Roan, who just made a space for me in this great sport. She 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 brought me in. You know, I 
never worked in sport before. I was a passionate sports volunteer and done lots of things in my life. I came from a commercial background, but she, uh, she and I got on and she brought me in through an interview process. So yeah, so I have to thank Molly personally for her leadership. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And finally, if you weren't CEO of World Netball, what would your career be in? <laughs> um, do you know, that's funny because I've done lots of different things in my life and people often wonder how I went from one to the other. Um, I don't know, but I'd be busy and I'd probably be trying to do too much in the day. That's my usual complaint. That sounds relatable. <laughs> sounds very familiar. Probably, yeah, I'd still be in uh, maybe commercial business marketing, but I made the switch and I'm so glad I did. That was a that that's a one-way direction now and I'm getting a bit long in the tooth to go on to anything else (laughs) (laughs) well I think the netball family is glad you made the switch as well Claire thank Thank you you. so much it's been such a joy to chat to you and thank you for your generosity today that's all right yes you can shut me up now I'm sorry (laughs) I tend to go on rather a lot so uh, I yes I've got a few things to do um with the countdown to the Commonwealth Games and I'd really urge all your listeners to 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 watch what they can and listen to what they can I think it's going to be a terrific competition yeah you're spot on there Thank you so much for listening to this final episode of season two of Quarter Time Podcast. It has genuinely been such a pleasure nattering about netball every single week since February this year. And we just wanted to say a huge, huge shout out to everyone who's listened in, who's got in touch, who shared their comments and their thoughts on the episodes via our social media channels. We love you all. Yay. As we mentioned at the top of the show, we aren't going too far away and we'll be doing another recorded Twitter space in honour of the upcoming England Roses announcement. So do stay tuned on Twitter for the news of when that will take place. We'll also be re-releasing some of our previous interviews, which make for really interesting listening and those will be coming out over the next few weeks. We will, of course, be bringing you all the analysis and updates that you need from the Commonwealth Games starting at the end of July. So do not worry about that. We've got you. We've got you covered, babes. Make <laughs> sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at Quarter Time Pod for the latest netball updates. Do get involved in the conversation online and let us know your thoughts on the VNSL, ANZ and SSN seasons as a whole and which players you're looking forward to seeing at the Commonwealth Games in just a few weeks' time. We would also really appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review as it helps other people to find the podcast. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please let us know and do spread the word with your netball pals so even more people can get involved. And finally, a massive, massive thank you to our partners for the season, Carbon Jacked. If you haven't checked them out already, I mean, we've literally said it enough times, so you probably (laughs) should have done by now, but make sure that you do and do take advantage of the exclusive Netball Pod 30% discount on their membership. It's honestly so great. We love being members of Carbon Jacked. Genuinely, I'm sat here in my lovely little Carbon Jacked t-shirt right now. It's the best. I love it. Love it. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you very soon. Bye. Bye.